Welcome to the Compliance Perspectives Podcast. I'm Adam Turtletow from the Society of Corporate Compliance and Ethics and Healthcare Compliance Association. Joining us today from Palo Alto, California is Gaurav Kapoor. Gaurav is co-CEO and co-founder of MetricStream. And today we're going to be talking about the new guidance from the Department of Justice that came out in March of 2023. Uh, first, Gaurav, thanks for taking time out of your day to talk to us. No, thank you, Adam. A pleasure to be here on the call. A pleasure to have you. You know, there's been a lot that's been discussed about the guidance and written. Um, from your perspective, what is the key message from the latest iteration of the DOJ guidance for evaluating compliance programs? Adam, uh, DOJ guidance, the most recent guidance, you know, is quite uh, comprehensive and large. But I would say that the key message, if I had to call it out, is that the DOJ expects organizations to have a very well-designed, well-executed compliance, ethics, and risk program in place, and also be able to closely evaluate and monitor the design and effectiveness. Uh, there is an emphasis that has been put into more modern technology that has typically not been covered in the past as much, like personal devices, communication platforms, messaging applications. That's quite ubiquitous now uh, across you know, everybody whether it's uh, the rank and file in organizations or executives, you know, government organizations, et cetera. That's what I would summarize it as. And the whole new emphasis on all the various forms of electronic communications is certainly giving a lot of people uh, aggravations. They try to figure that out. So let me ask you to step into the head of a compliance officer. If you were a compliance officer, what do you think are the key points uh, you would need to share with management? So Adam, uh, I would say two or three things. Number one, I would state first that, you know, as a regulator and as, you know, as an organization, DOJ is encouraging organizations to set up and follow frameworks that actually entail a more connected, holistic, proactive approach to compliance programs. We have th seen this, you know, in the past from other regulators, like the ones that govern particularly the pharmaceutical industry and the healthcare industry where compliance programs have been in place for a long time and more proactive approach has been there, including, you know, how communication happens, how organizations are set up to ensure, you know, they're completely compliant. So it takes a little bit of that from there, number one. The second thing is that, you know, cross-organizationally, whether it's risk management, whether it's policy and procedures, how do you train, how do you communicate, uh, has to be, you know, pretty well organized and integrated. You know, whether it's the hotlines and reporting, even your third party risk, you know, with an extended ecosystem that companies and organizations have now, all these need to be brought into a more singular view and the interconnectedness of these risks and compliance areas have to be more visible, more proactive and more timely. As usual, it's always more and more and more. Now, what about the board? What should they be thinking about or doing differently? That's an interesting question, Adam. So the board, you know, if you if you if you look at the board constitutions today, a lot of the board members typically have come from, you know, uh, risk backgrounds where either business or risk backgrounds, right? So you have seen the emergence of audit committees and risk committees, compensation committees to design and obviously governing the organization as as a whole. Now I do feel that you know with 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 what's happening out there in the market, uh, we. We, the boards do need to understand very well that they have a role 
in not just the business governance or the risk governance, but also things related to how organizations are conducting themselves ethically and from a compliance perspective. So two, two or three things again I'll highlight here. One is that the boards themselves need to be first aware of what contributes to the presence or lack of an effective program, and they have to take full accountability of this. And we've seen some of the other, you know, kind of global uh, countries where there's been a lot more emphasis on code of conduct, you know, conduct risk, etc. And this kind of presupposes that the boards need to be aware of what needs to be done and and how they're benchmarked today. Uh, on, within the organizations that they're governing. The second thing is that they also need to understand and actually guide how these programs are perceived, approached, funded, adopted, and also the governance, governance aspects of who owns what, who reports to whom, you know, how do you remove conflicts of interest across the organization, whether it's employees, management, or it's third parties, how board and executives are alerted to compliance challenges, how quickly you can react to those in case there's a violation. All of this, you know, including the resolution practices, they can provide a governing model. I mean, they don't have to frame it, but they do have to provide a governing model. And also, you know, uh, if 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 a if a violation is happening, provide the right guidance to the organization on how to respond to it. And obviously, for the board, it's important, given the new emphasis on their guidance that they need to know what the expectations are. Now, in terms of the compliance program itself, how should the compliance team be adjusting their efforts in your opinion? Adam, I think the biggest change, you know, that's happening and, and you can see it partly from the guidance factors around messaging and around, you know, the new technologies and communication. One of the key things is that the, the world has become more pacey. It has become more uh, fragmented in terms of content, data, communication, etc., and therefore, what was being done in the past to set up proper compliance programs has to be shifting. So, as an example, the DOG from the guidance DOJ, I'm sorry, has been very clear they, that they want businesses to take compliance seriously. And in the past, regulatory compliance, if I may call it, you know, has been more prescriptive, but corporate compliance has been lesser prescriptive. So organizations can take how they want to do it, how they want to run it. The DOJ you know, kind of provides a little more emphasis on making sure that organizations, particularly the ones that had compliance failures or episodes of misconduct in the past, you know, they have to put take compliance more seriously, quote unquote. They have also taken the pains to demonstrate that they intend to be fair, okay, because the fear of retribution often does not allow ethical behavior you know, in a control, in a interesting kind of convoluted kind of way, where they have made that uh, demonstration that they want to be fair, so that organizations can be proactive in the reporting and fixing issues and lapses before it rules on compliance cases. That's a big step in a direction of a balanced view. And finally, I think that it expects the compliance leadership to ensure that the programs are designed and run well, and it's constantly improving. Things don't change in a day. And the compliance leadership is honest about the challenges, failures, and remedies. So given all that, Adam, I would say that number one, okay, the compliance culture, the concept of a culture of compliance has to be embedded more deeply. The tone from the top is extremely important. As a CEO in my company, I have to ensure that, you know, what I carry, you know, the banner I carry and the culture I carry 
is translated down to the organization the appetite you know and and many times these ethical violations happen because there is a mismatch in terms of incentives and the behavior that organizations almost try to portray as being the culture the second thing i would say is that you know as things are changing technology now allows you to do a lot more two examples i would say is that one we can encourage the frontline employees and the extended ecosystem of partners and third parties to actually participate more through non-intrusive technology as an example you know if you change the language of hotline and anonymized reporting to observations there is an ability for organizations to capture a lot of feedback from the frontline and the first line of defense and which can roll back in and you can start to see patterns using ai ml and other technology and and look at what the patterns of possible violations or risks are in the organization and the second thing i would say is that a culture uh, of of transformation of what i call a compliance culture is extremely important so a combination of these two can actually change the way how organizations are setting up their compliance programs you know compared to the past and I want to underscore something. It was a kind of a very important but a subtle point you made there is that the language that we use can have a huge impact. You know, telling employees they have to report is a lot more serious sounding than sharing an observation and probably takes, a you know, sharing an observation is less of a threshold for people. And it's one of those things that it may seem simple, but it can be very important about how you describe things it ends up having a huge impact on behavior. So finally, um, outside of the DOJ guidance, you know, it's not the only thing out there these days. Compliance has grown globally. Uh, given all that you've seen going around in the world in terms of guidance, is there anything else you think compliance teams should be doing or looking to? Adam, that's a great question. A lot of my, you know, current discussions that are happening with executives globally, you know, the, one of the single largest areas is really the fact that there's a proliferation of requirements and regulations here. With every event that happens in the market, you know, whether you look at the FTX collapse, the more recent S uh, Silicon Valley Bank issues, right? You're seeing regulations proliferate across the world. There are so many jurisdictions across the world, and most of mid to large companies now have global jurisdictions they're multinational and you're talking about and, and you, if you add to that third parties your partnerships joint ventures you know your supply chain the extension is very global you know there's a commonly cited number of about 250 new regulations coming almost every day and published every day so given all that one of the key things is that compliance teams need to know what applies to them and what doesn't so it's very important to have systems in place that allow you to, on a real-time basis, see what is coming in, sift out the noise, and, and, and really understand what applies to them. If you are a bank and SEC has come with a new guidance or the Singapore Monetary Authority has come up with a new guidance, you first need to know that this applies to you, else you could be in violation at some stage, right? The second thing is that staying on top of the, all these regulatory changes. And I'm just going to give you an example. One of the most trailing set of professionals, and we have been in this space for a long time, you know, have for adoption of AI, ML, has been the world of governance, risk, and compliance. And the reason is, our reason was that they traditionally used to think that if you're not 100% accurate in your assessment of compliance, 
you know ai cannot help ai can only take you 90 percent there let's say at the best end right but more recently what we're seeing is that because there's so much proliferation of of data information edicts regulations and standards the application of ai to understand you know what applies to them how does it how, how to process the uh, the interpretation of some of these laws is becoming more and more pertinent and that's why more and more automation is required in compliance programs has become too huge to be able to manually assessing just through the legal and compliance groups right and the last mm -hmm. thing i would say is that you know i i come back to creating a compliance culture and it should not just be compliance it's an ethical culture it's a culture of risk it's a culture of compliance so between these three things i think the whole pace of regulatory and corporate compliance both has been changing rapidly and i'll i'll and we are seeing this you know in a vast uh, set of industries and even the regulators by the way if you notice the last thing i'll say is that just like the department of justice the regulators are also trying to balance innovation and 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 governance they have realized that they can't hold back on technology or technology innovation that's happening whether it's the cryptos whether it is the blockchain whether it is you know the metaverse in the new world all of that stuff so they are also trying to keep pace they don't want to stifle you know regulations but they also don't want this to go you know out of out of the skis if you will oh you can see that and to your point about the importance of culture being unchanging you know it doesn't matter what the rules are what the restrictions are what the business opportunities are in the end you're dealing with people and how they behave and culture is really the central driving force of that so often both for good and for bad. Well, Gaurav, thank you for sharing these insights with us today. I wanna to thank all of you for taking the time to listen. I'm Adam Chirltaub from SCCE and HCCA. I hope we're able to expand your compliance perspective.